John 14, verse 12 through 21. All right. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who, who loves me. And he who, who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Before Pastor Ben comes up, I just want to get the chance to introduce him, uh, first of all. But before I do that, I just want you guys to look around the room a little bit. We spent time uh, this uh, yesterday, all day yesterday, painting this wall and back there. We're kind of getting things ready for Easter and for obviously in, in having some guests come and join us. And Stephanie did some plants up front. So uh, I just want to give a shout out to the whole team, Cole and, and the whole team that was working hard here all yesterday to get this done. So uh, it's exciting. It's neat to see things like this happen uh, here in the church building. Uh, ben Collins is a great friend of mine. We, uh, we first met when Ben was in the same seminary that I was. He was a fourth year and I was a first year. I was coming, just coming into the seminary. And I told this story earlier. My wife and I were terrified to leave California and go to a cold place like Minnesota. I mean, when I say terrified, we were really terrified. I mean, we did never experienced things like temperatures below zero. I mean, things like that. And so we needed to know that there was such a thing as a Californian who had actually gone out there and survived. And so we, we met Ben and Erica, his lovely wife, and uh, they, they graciously, without knowing anything about us, invited us to come out there for sort of a trip that we could see what it's like out there. Now, we came in the springtime, but we got to stay with them and we got to see that they had survived. They had made it. They were thriving in seminary life. They had, they had made friendships out there. And, and this was the beginning of a friendship for us that I, I believe will, will happen until our, our last days here and on into eternity uh, with Ben. He is a great friend. We have had so many great, wonderful, wonderful conversations about the Lord. He is a thinker. He is uh, someone who loves the Lord deeply. He is passionate about, um, ab about the gospel. And so I am very, very excited to have him come up and teach out of John 14 this morning. So Ben, come on up. 
Thanks, friend. It's really good to be here. I was uh, here at the Watermark location, which I think is the correct term, uh, in fall of 2019. And so it's fun to be here and see how things have developed and, and the growth. And I love JD. I, I, I love that he has here. And it's uh, such an encouragement to me to see so many different members involved in the service and the prayers and the maturity, the love for Jesus that's so apparent here. And so it's just a joy to be able to enter into that with you, whether you're here in this room or outside or, or watching on live stream. And so for me uh, this morning, I have the pleasure of talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus specifically from John 14, where we've been in this, you guys have been in this series of I am statements and John 14, six, where Jesus declares that he is, I, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And this morning, what we're going to be talking about is a passage that comes shortly after this, that I am statement. And this is where Jesus is really starting to get pretty aware of what his disciples are starting to feel because in the context of everything that's going on, he is about, he's just told them that he is about to leave. And so in the gospel of John, we're in what's called the farewell. The uh, farewell discourse is the spot where Jesus has basically said, Hey guys, I'm on my way out. And, um, and good luck. No, that's not exactly how he says it, but I'm leaving and they, and they start freaking out. They start freaking out. And what we are going to see is that Jesus gives them some incredible encouragements as well as some really strong commands and, and uh, for, for how their life should look once he's gone. He paints an amazing picture of what he's calling them to, how he's calling them to live. And then he gives them the power to do it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see that we're going to be talking really about how do people do what they do? How do people change? How does behavior change? How is behavior modified? How do people stop doing wrong things? How do people start doing the right things? Is, does this happen through strategies of behavior modification? Is, hey, we all just need to have a really high level of self-esteem. If you really believe that you are a great kind of person, that's what's going to enable you to live this kind of life. That's, that's definitely a huge thought that's out there in our, in our world today, in our culture today. Another one is, and this one kind of fell into some disrepute after World War I that proved it utterly wrong, is if only education's the answer. If everyone knows the right way to live, then they're going to do it. I don't know how many of those professors or people who came up with that were parents, but <laughs> I find myself falling into that. It's like, dude, I just told you. And it's like, but we all know that this doesn't work. It's like they, hearing things, they, it doesn't change who we are. So how, what is the solution? Is knowledge the solution? Self-esteem? No. But there's more than just doing the right things. I've heard people say, you know, if you have kids who are disciplined, that doesn't mean that they've been discipled. Just having right actions doesn't mean that they have a right heart. God cares about the heart. God cares about why we're doing certain things. Are we doing and living a certain way so that we think that we might have some way in which we can manipulate God and say, hey, now God, you, I, you deserve, I deserve that you would answer my prayers because of look at this life that I've lived for you. Look at the sacrifices that I've made for you. 
Okay, so there's a difference between doing right actions and having a right heart behind those right actions as well. So we're going to be talking about how people do what they do today. That's really what Jesus is talking about. So as we've said, Jesus is, the context is that he's leaving and he's calling his disciples. If you were listening to the passage that was read, he's calling them really in verses 15 through 31, which is that whole end of chapter 14 in four different places. He says to, to some effect, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Four times that's repeated. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the emphasis here is the connection between love and obedience. Love for God and obedience to God in how we live our lives. And so what we're going to see is that really we're going to see love defined. That's where we're going to start at. We're going to then talk about the logic of love. So how does love really logically, how does that work and translate into obedience. And then finally, we're going to talk about the two powers that God gives us to love, to be obedient in the ways that he's called us to. So that's, that's really what we see in this passage. And so as we get into this, Jesus, at the very beginning of his farewell discourse, he says something absolutely stunning. If, if you're looking in your Bibles, you can see in chapter 13, at the very end, he says this, he says, hey, where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. Here it is, guys. <clears throat> that you love one another, okay, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now think about the disciples at this moment. They have been with this guy for years now. They have seen him love them and love all these other people like no one else that they've ever could have imagined in their lives. They have seen love and now they've seen him love them despite their, their, their faithlessness, despite their fickleness, their lack, all these different things. Jesus has consistently, repeatedly loved them, cared for them. And now he's saying, and I want you to love all the people around you, all the, your fellow disciples, just like I have. How's that going to make them feel? That sounds like an impossible task. That sounds totally overwhelming for them. Like, oh man, you're now calling me to love just like you've loved us? That's an incredible thing. And then also at the beginning of our passage, we see this in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works, greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the father. So Jesus is saying, hey, you are called to love one another just like I've loved you and you're going to do what I've done because I'm going to the father. So these disciples are in need of some serious encouragement at this moment because they've just been told to love one another like Jesus, the son of God, love himself has loved them. How is this possible? So for us, let's start by talking about loved, love defined, love defined. So love is not only an emotion. It's not only an emotion. It's not only something that you say. It's not only something that you feel. What we 
are seeing is that Jesus is making a connection between love and obedience. If you love me, if you love me, if you love God, that's not just something that you feel and that's all that it does. It's not only an emotion. It's not only something that you say, oh yeah, I love you, God. What he's saying is that there's a, there's a direct connection between love for God and obedience to God. We also see in John's other writings in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, he says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. But in deed and in truth. So not only in word or talk, don't just say that you love God, but we also need, that needs to be followed up with action. How many of you, if you're married, how many of you, if in your time before engagement or time before getting married, you were very careful. I've interacted with a lot of premarital couples like this. They're very careful about the time when you change from, I really like you to, I love you. Okay. Does anybody, do you remember that? Like it's for me, having been married for like 10 and a half years, it's like, I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, that was so cute. Like I remember those days. That was a long time ago. Oh, cool. But I'm, I'm interacting. I'm, do, I'm doing premarital with a couple different couples right now. And they're like, you know, they're, they're telling me about this, this thing where they were very careful and intentional about saying the words, I love you. And why, why are we intentional about that? Because we know that love is more than just words. It's more than just a feeling. It once you, what they're trying to get at is once they say that, I love you, that means I am yours. I am committed. Once they say, I love you, that means I'm not going to go after anybody else. That means a life of obedience, a life of commitment, a life of connection follows after those words. Love is more than just an emotion. And, but love is also not only God word. As we said earlier, it's not only love for God. You know, it's not just a vertical relationship that, we're called, that Jesus is calling his disciples to have. He's saying, as we saw in 34 and 35 of chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So our love for God translates into love for others. And one of the places in the Bible where I think this is so incredibly clear, clearly put is by Jesus in Matthew 25. Do you remember this? In Matthew 25, verses 31 and following, this is where it says, and one day Jesus will sit on his glorious throne and he will separate on one side the sheep from the goats. Do you guys know this passage? Have you heard this passage? Jesus says something incredible in this passage talking about love. He says, hey, for all, of, all the times when I was hungry, and you gave me food. Every time that I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Every time that I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Every time that I was naked and you clothed me. Every time that I was sick and you visited me. Every time that I was in prison and you came to me. He's, he's going through all these things. And then the sheep, the people of God say, wait, Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, in prison, sick? When did we ever do any of these things to you? Do you remember what he says? Jesus says this, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers did so to me. Jesus identifies himself that our actions towards one another are, as Jesus is saying, actions toward Jesus. Our love for others is as if we're doing those actions towards Jesus himself. That's what he's saying in this passage. 
He's, he is so pleased to identify himself with us that when we look at each other, we think, oh, love for God is like one thing and love for other people is another thing. Jesus is really trying to connect those two ideas into one. He's saying these people, this is what it really means to be made in the image of God. We are, you're sitting next to this morning, either outside, inside or at home. You're sitting around people who are of greater, of infinite value that, that you, you just can't even grasp. We can't see who we truly are. And Jesus is so, so identifies with us that he could say that every time that you open a door for someone to let them in, to, hey, have a seat, come on in, welcome. It's nice to meet you. What's your name? Every time you've done that, Jesus said, you to me. You've done that to me. So love is not only Godward. We're defining what love is. It's not only an emotion. It's not only something you said. It's not only Godward. It means also loving others. It's this new commandment of, of loving one another as Jesus has loved them. It sounds like a high calling because it is. It's a really high calling to love just like Jesus has loved. So why did Jesus' disciples and why do we need to hear this today? Why does he remind them of this need to love? Well, that's because some people, can, there are kind of two different groups of people that need to hear this for different reasons. Some people think that, hey, I just want to have eternal life, but I don't want to change my life. Some people over here would say, the love of God for me doesn't require my love for him or for others. The work of Christ doesn't mean that I now work for Christ. And say, Jesus endured the cross as he set me before him as his joy, but I can enjoy my life as I please. So those people need to hear that you can't just say you love God and have no life change. That's what these people need to hear over here. But there's another group of people over here who are doing all the right things, doing all the obedience. And they would read this text and they would almost skip over. If you will keep my, they would just say, well, we're just reading this as keep my commandments keep my commandments and they're reversing it. And then I will love you. These are the people who think they've got it all together. These are the people who think that because I pray, God is going to, I deserve to have a, an answer from God because of all the life that I've lived and all the sacrifices I've made for God, all the religious observances that I've given to him over years and years and years, I deserve to have a great life. Those people also need to hear Jesus' words because for them, they need to see that their obedience is not a means to be loved, but rather their obedience should flow from the fact that they've already been loved by God himself in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the life that he lived, perfectly obedient for us. And so both groups need to hear this way of love. They need to have love defined in this way. It's something that flows out from us because of who we've already become in, in Christ. And so this brings us to the logic of love. How does this actually work? How does this actually work that we would have our lives, our decisions changed by, by love within us? How does love for God lead to a life of obedience? How does that work? How would you answer that question? How does your being loved by God and your loving of him lead in return lead to a life of obedience. Well, think about it this way. We just read Jesus' words. 
I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, right? That was the study of this last week. And so how does love for Christ lead to obedience to Christ? Well, <laughs> we see that Jesus, we see what we have in Jesus. We have the way, the way to the Father has been made known to us. And so we're going to choose to follow that way and not some other way because of what we've already had in Jesus. We don't need to find another way. We've already found the way. We can put away falsehood. We can see the deception of idols, the empty promises of the things around us because we found the truth. We don't need something else because we found the truth. And also we found the life. We've been given true life. We've been given access to the tree of life, the river of life. Our names have been written in the book of life. We have come to know God, which is eternal life. And so we don't need any of these other lives that are out there because we already have life in Christ. So the idea here is that you choose, we have the ability or we have the option of choosing either to live for God because of all that we already have in God, or we have the option of choosing to live for something else. And so the logic here is that if you love God and love all that you have in God, love all that God has done for you, if you see that, you can choose that instead of choosing all these other ways to live, to find another way to feel good about yourself, to find another life that is going to bring you more fulfillment, to find another kind of truth that's going to actually answer all the hard questions in your life. Sounds really, really easy, right? but it's actually incredibly hard to do. Even though we know that Jesus is the truth and the life, do our lives reflect? Does, do our lives reflect a love for God? And where we are choosing him time and time again, we are forgetful. We have all of this in Christ. We have all that we really need and more, but how can we choose these right things that we already have? How do we make that decision? How do we have the power to choose and love? To choose and love righteousness, to choose and love justice, to choose and love generosity, to choose and love mercy. Well, this is really what the disciples are feeling at this moment. Because as we said, Jesus is about to leave. They're freaking out. He's told them, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. And they're saying, that sounds like an impossible task. How am I ever going to do that? If they're a religious person over here, they're saying, man, this is going to be really, really rough. How am I going to do this? Just like you've done it, Jesus. And what Jesus says next in verses 16 and following of chapter 14 is so important for us to see. Because Jesus does not just say, if you love me, my commandments, and and that's the end. He says much more. He gives us two powers to love in verses 16 through 20. And this is really the the meat of the passage that we're going to look at, the powers to love. And so we see that I'm just going to read 16 through 20 just for us to see. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. 
In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Okay? So, the power to love is where we're going to really talk about this. And this should be the question for you. How do I live a life of obedience? Jesus doesn't leave that question unanswered. Jesus wants to give you the power. He wants you to understand the power that we have to live the life that he's called us to live. Even though we know the choice that we can make to live for God, we so often see ourselves not doing it. What he gives us to make that right choice is the Holy Spirit. And here's how this works. What does the Holy Spirit do in your life? The Holy Spirit gives you affections for God. That's how you were saved initially. You, the Holy Spirit came into your heart, dead, stony heart, not able to have any desire for God, being able to know about God, but not actually loving him for who he was, for who he is. But the Spirit comes in and gives you a new birth, a new affection, a new desire, a new ability to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what the Spirit does in you when you come to faith. And that's what the Spirit is able to do in you as you live out your faith. He gives you the ability to choose God, to choose his ways, to live in obedience time and time and time again. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so this word helper is in Greek, it's paraclete and Helper is a good word, but really paraclete is a word that really just means it's God's dynamic presence with us, with his people. And it helps us in all kinds of ways. He, he's our advocate. He's our helper. He's our strength. He's our power. All these things. He will give us another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Okay. So a couple things to see from this text right here. Another helper. What does that mean? Jesus was the first paraclete. The first Jesus, the first, the first paraclete, who is Jesus, he's the one who accomplished their redemption. That's his help. I'm here to bring you to God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the second paraclete, the spirit, empowers them to live a redeemed life. So Jesus, the first paraclete, redeems their life. The second paraclete, the spirit, empowers them to live a redeemed life and to redeem life around them. It's not just your own private obedience to God. It's the life that you spread out, that spreads out from you as you live for God. Here's something also amazing. Look at this. And I will ask the Father... Why is that included? Look at, look at what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you need to keep my commandments in order to keep my commandments. And he says in the next breath, and I, Jesus, will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, even the spirit of truth. What this is saying is that the entire Godhead is invested in your life of obedience. The entire Godhead is behind you, pushing you forward, empowering you, strengthening you. The Father, Son, Spirit, they're all there. Saying, you can do this. We're for this. We are in this with you. We are here to make this happen. The whole Godhead is involved in making your life a life that is not only redeemed to be with him, but a life of redemption. 
in in uh, verse 23, John says of this chapter, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and look, and my father will love him. And we, the, fa- the father and the son, we will come to him and make our home with him. What this means is that God is so for our obedience. He's not just commanding us to do it. He's enabling us to The same God who wrote the Ten Commandments, he sent his son to die on the cross when we couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. And the Father and the Son, they also send the Spirit to help us keep the Ten Commandments, to give us the ability to love. It's the same God, his work convicting us at our inability to follow his his law, giving us the way to be redeemed through his Son, and then enabling us to have the power to live a redeeming life through his Spirit. This is, the whole Godhead is involved here in, in, in our works of obedience. So I was driving home just earlier this week and I have three, three kids, five, three, and almost two, boy, boy, girl, my boys and my little girl, because of the boys love trucks. Okay. They love trucks. We're driving along, going home, listening to this silly song, pancake robot. If you've ever heard it. It's really, really funny. For the, the kids love it, and I've heard it way too many times. But we're driving on, on, on the 101 South up there on the Central Coast, and I see something I've never seen before on the road. There is a little tiny Tonka truck, like a little kid. You know those bright yellow Tonka trucks? It's a dump truck. And it's, on, it's right in the dead center on the back of this gigantic semi-truck with a flatbed trailer. And it's just it's the only thing on the trailer, and it's right in the middle, and it has a strap over it to secure it down. And my boys are like, look, Dad, look at that Tonka truck. And we're like driving behind it, driving next to it, looking at it from every angle, like, what is going on here? My kids are dying laughing. They're like, what is going on here? This is hilarious. And uh, I was looking at that, and I'm like, well, I'm a preacher, so I got to use this somehow. So, um, but here's the idea. We're like that little Tonka truck. And we can have this, we can feel like we have this weight, this burden of needing to, to, to obey, this burden to do something hard in our lives. And it can feel like we're all weighed down. And if we look at this long journey to carry this, to live this obedient life and go far and just those little wheels and just this little truck, it can feel like, man, am I going to make it? But then if we zoom out, we see that, Oh, our Tonka truck is actually riding on the back of this huge semi-truck with this huge flat. We're certainly going to make it. We're certainly going to get to our destination. We, are absolute, we absolutely have the power. We absolutely have the resources to make this happen. This little Tonka truck, if you're just focusing on that, we don't have the ability. But because of Jesus Christ, because of his father, because of the spirit, that they are together. The Godhead is getting us forward. They are taking us. They are carrying us. And so when we look at our lives and we think, man, this act of obedience, this act of following God just seems so hard. What we need to remember is that we're just like that little Tonka truck on the back of this huge semi-truck trailer. He's carrying us. He's empowering us. It's not up to us alone to be obedient, friends. Jesus is so invested. In 1 John chapter 5, 
John, the author of this text says this, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, very similar language. And John says, his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Friends, the, the commandments of God with the spirit of God, they're not burdensome. They're just like that little Tonka truck. That whatever, however much dirt or whatever is in the back of that Tonka truck, it's nothing. It's, uh, it's absolutely nothing for that semi-truck to pull that burden down the, f- the road. So where, here's the question for you this morning, where do you need to trust that his commandments are not burdensome in your life? Where do you need to believe whole Godhead is invested in you and your obedience to him? Where do you need to believe in a fresh way that you can actually have a life that's marked by obedience, a life that's marked by bringing about life and redemption to those around you? Who love in your life? The main commandment that we see in the context here is love one another just as I have loved you. Have you given up on loving someone in your life? Have you thrown in the towel? Have you said to an addiction, you're strong, I can't overcome you? Have you said to slothfulness, it's too comfortable, I'm not going to go into this. I'm just going to live this out. What Jesus is trying to drive home here is that we should never come to a place of bowing down to sin in our lives. We should always believe that the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit are there to strengthen us, to empower us, to say, I can make it through this. And if we say otherwise, if we say that it's too hard to love that person, this addiction is too strong for me to break, this shame is too much a part of my identity, this fear, this anxiety, there's no way that I could see myself in any way being in a place where it's gone. If that's what we start to believe, what we're saying is that these things, these sinful patterns in our lives, we're saying, we're saying that they have greater power than the God who made all things, than the God who accomplished a redemption. So friends, Jesus is so good. He not only redeems our lives, he gives us the power to live a redeemed life by the, the, the empowering spirit that lives within us. He also gives us another way, another power to love, a power towards obedience, a power towards faithfulness. He says that I will not leave you as orphans. Look in verse 18 of our text. Jesus says, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's saying, friends, I'm going now to the father, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm not going to, yes, I'm leaving you for now, but you're not without a father. You're not without a family, you're not without protection and provision. I will come back to you. You're not without a future and inheritance. You're not orphans. I'm coming back. 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. Here's the promise. You also will live because I, that's definitely referring to his resurrection that you're going to see me. I'm coming back, but it's also referring to his final return as well. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you and me and I in you. Friends, he's saying, I'm, I myself, I'm going to come back. I'm going to make all things right. And so what he's saying here is that your labor, you're fighting for righteousness. You're seeking to spread the light of the gospel into the dark corners of the world. It's not in vain. It's never in vain. The, the chapter in the Bible that focuses on the resurrection more than any other place is 1 Corinthians 15. It talks all and only about the reality of the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection. And how does Paul conclude that chapter? He concludes it by saying this, therefore, my brothers, because of the resurrection, because of what we believe is going to be the case, because our body, the dead will be raised, imperishable, the, we will be able to live with God forever. Here's the conclusion. Here, here's where it's all going. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. It's not in vain, friends. It's not in vain. Now, what does this mean? What this means is that in the resurrection from the dead, Jesus is bringing the age to come into this present age. He's the first fruits of, from the grave, meaning that there are plenty more to come up from the grave and his resurrection is the guarantee of that. He's not only the first one out of, out of the grave, he's the guarantee of all of us who are in Christ coming up out of the grave as well. He's the guarantee, he's the first flicker of the age to come of the reign of Christ here on earth where the dwelling place of God will be with man now and forevermore. That age to come where all will be made right, where the temple of God will be here. We will be his temple. All the cosmos will be a place where God dwells with mankind forever and ever where there'll be no tears, no crying. He'll wipe them all away. No sorrow, no pain. All of that that's to come starts with that empty tomb. And so what that means, friends, is that when we live lives through the Holy Spirit, seeking to be a life that is not only redeemed, but is redeeming life around us, bringing light into the darkness. What Jesus is saying here is that because of what will be forever and always, anything that anticipates or attempts to bring that coming age into our present age, where people love each other and care for each other like family and sacrifice for each other and are committed, keep their word, all those things, bringing healing and restoration. When we wipe away tears today, we're anticipating what's to come. When we bring healing to pain today, we're anticipating what's to come. When we bring life to death today, that's anticipating from, from death today, that's anticipating what's to come. When we bring light into darkness, truth into falsehood, that's anticipating the world that's to come. And so what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that any attempt to do that 
is not in vain because it's all going to happen someday. You want to know what a vain life is? A vain life, a worldview with a vain life <clears throat> is to believe that all, of the, all this goes to nothing. If all this goes to nothing, any of that love that you showed towards other people, any of that, any compassion, any kindness, any welcoming of people, any feeding of the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, all the things from Matthew 25, any of that makes no sense. It's all in vain because it's not anticipating anything that's true. If it's all going to death and destruction and decay and nothing, then all of that is utterly in vain. But what Jesus and Paul are saying is that we can have hope that even when you love someone and you invest in someone, and you're trying to bring the kingdom that's to come into their lives today, he's saying that because of what will be forever, your labors, they're not worthless because they are actual, true anticipation of the future. We know the future, friends. And when we live out an obedient life, loving others like Jesus loved us, we're bringing the kingdom, the power of the age to come, comes crashing into this age of darkness. We start the reversal. The reversal began we the reversal began with Jesus and we continue it through our obedience. And so, here's the, here's the application question for here. Where in your life does your labor look like or feel like it's in vain? Where are you longing for fruit? Where are you just bitter and just done? parenting. You've just been investing so much for so long, looking for fruit, looking for results. It's not coming. How about relationships in your marriage? Maybe it just feels like you've been just longing for your spouse to love you and, he, it, and just for your relationship to have healing, to have those fractures be fixed in a friendship, you've been trying to make peace, laboring, waging peace with this person, trying to love them, but it just, you're just not, it just feels like it's all in vain. You're just ready to give up. In your work life, those of you or below you, up or down, whatever it may be, where you're just, you just want to give up. You just, you, you, you're just able You want to start just avoiding them. Where does your labor look like it's in vain in your life? What the reminder here, friends, is to remain faithful. Because Jesus sees it all and he loves the ways that you're working to bring his kingdom into this present kingdom. And he's there to say, again, that the whole are there to, and they are investing in you about life through you and make it happen. If you look to him, if you look to, to Jesus with the eyes of faith through the Holy spirit, you can, we have the ability to actually live the life we are called for on our own. We, we have no hope. And so how will you change? What's your burden to carry? And how can you carry another's 
burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your, your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to hear all that you've called us to, which is really an impossible life to love like you've loved. And yet, God, you've made a way through your son. You redeemed us. You sent your son to live the life we could never live. He loved in a way that we could never do on our own. We need something outside of us to come into us to enable us to live like you've called us. And that's your spirit. And so God, thank you for redeeming our life. And thank you for giving us the power to live a redeemed life. God, may we not bow down to patterns or habits in our life, lack of love in our life, that, so that we are proclaiming in that, that those things have power over you. God, it's not the case. And so God, give us hope that we can live a righteous life. Give us hope that our labor is not in vain, that we are just anticipating. We're bringing the power of the age to come into this present age. And so God, give us fresh fire, fresh ability, fresh energy to go and live a life that is pleasing to you, that brings about life and light and redemption to a world that is so in need. God, may we, may we remember that the gospel is not only about us being made right in your eyes, but it's also about making us live a right life in your eyes. And so God, do that, I pray. Thank you for loving us. Oh God, you're so kind. I'm so, I'm so ready to give up in my life in so many ways. Encourage our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.